0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado.
0: The King's Pulse Podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional and upload it, all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Sacramento.
1: three on one, Badly the step,
2: Badly with the dunk. and you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is, Buddy Hill, alone at the... The Kings record. Oh, I like to see Fox Force five in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that. You don't like Kings basketball.
0: Oh. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brendan Nunez, and I have my usual co-host here, Rich. How are you doing
1: today, man? What up, Brendan? I am doing pretty good. Feeling optimistic about the future. Of our Sacramento Kings yeah with this
0: this Luke Walton hiring that happened pretty quickly I mean we put out an emergency podcast right after the Jaeger firing and what was it not even 24 hours later that Luke was
1: officially the head coach of the Sacramento Kings yeah that's right you asked me at the time how long until the Kings hire a new coach and I said uh, I think it'll be a little while just out of respect to Dave Yeager. And uh, it's another take of mine that you can just mark down as wrong because, boy, oh, boy, that this was lightning fast.
0: Yeah, we'll pretend like that never happened. And uh, yeah. then they have a press conference. I think that you just got the update on your phone at 1 p.m. today. Luke signed until the 2022-23 season, the exact same length as Vlade's contract. So to me, that's kind of Vlade saying, you know, if this doesn't work out, then I'm out the same time as Luke.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I I mean, if it's if it this doesn't work, they're probably both gone. I don't know. Maybe that's too hot of a take. I would imagine that if uh, things really go south, then it might be both of their heads rather than just uh, giving Vlade another chance to hire another coach. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think about that? Yeah, I would agree with that
0: because, I mean, Vlade, what kind of threw me off is that they didn't even talk to other coaches. Like, Vlade is so set on this is his guy that... It took one interview for them to sign that contract, at least from what we can tell. And there was no talking to Atore Messina, to Monty Williams, anybody else at all. So, Vlade thinks this is the guy and was able to convince convince uh, ownership that this is our coach moving forward. This is the best option. We don't even need to talk to anybody
1: else. I I think that's really what it comes down to, yeah. Yeah. I think I saw Tim Maxwell, friend of the show say that that Vlade is essentially staking his reputation on Luke right now. And that is how it feels a little bit. You know, if they had gone through the due diligence of interviewing four or five guys, uh, or ladies, uh, you know, then, you know, then maybe you can, you can kind of push this decision on other people. You can say this was a group decision. I know that Grant had said in the past that Jaeger was not Vlade's decision. So, but it's clear cut. It's clear as day that this is this was Vlade's choice, his number one choice, and yeah, it's going to reflect a lot on his decision making as GM.
0: Yeah, and how do you feel about Luke as a coach? I mean, he had that little warrior stint where he was assistant for a while and took over for Kerr when he had back problems during that seventy three and nine season, and then spent the last three years coaching the Lakers. But what were what were your impressions from from seeing him coach?
1: I feel very good about Luke Walden. I've been high on him for a while, higher than most, I'd say. You know, I did. You know, both of us we grew up in the Bay Area, so I think we watch a little bit more Warriors basketball than than most. Uh, not as much, not as close as we watch the Kings, but you know, the the 39 and four record that he was able to go out there and get with the Warriors, including the 24 and 0 start, that's not nothing. People want to dismiss that like, no, that's just the Warriors. The Warriors are that good. They were bound to go 24 and 0 and Luke had nothing to do with that. That's nonsense. Like you, you don't go 24 and 0 without your coach doing something right. I'm not saying it's everything. I'm not saying that he, that's the most amazing accomplishment of any coach ever. It could probably be more impressive to go 14 and 10 with a really, really bad team with the the league's worst team that it might be to go 24-0 with the the league's best team, but it still is a positive sign. Yeah, and I mean,
0: Kerr already had the system in place, but he was able to run it correctly. And to hear players like Draymond Green come out and say that Luke is an amazing coach, you saw Steph really hype him up. He has experience with Harrison Barnes, who was on that Warrior team that we're talking about. So to me, I'm very curious to see if Barnes decides to restructure and likes the addition of Luke Walton. I feel like that'll almost be a little bit of a telling sign on how he feels about Luke after having spent what two, his first two, three years of his career with Luke somehow in the management or assistant, assistant coach under Golden State. I think that he's more of a player's coach a bit and Vlade obviously has a very good relationship with him. Vlade made it clear in the press conference where they said bye to Jaeger that he wanted a coach that could sit next to him in making decisions and they could agree on things moving forward. And I feel like Luke is going to be great to do that. It's more of a, I want to say, enjoyable personality in regards to how the players are going to be. I know that Steve Kerr has had a lot to say about him. I've heard nothing but absolutely positive things about Luke's coaching style and his personality and how he interacts with anybody that he runs into, really.
1: That is definitely how this is being pitched. That's how this be, this move is being spun, if if you're okay with that term, uh, at least from a PR perspective. I think there's been some articles, you know, the articles that have come out recently, the, the talk that's come out of the Kings organization is that Dave Yeager was a great coach, but hard to work with. And this the pitch here is that Luke Walton is also a great coach and not as hard to work with. So, uh, I, I, guess I'm just buying into that, but I do kind of just believe it. I, I don't know. I, I see the way that Jaeger acted around the media and that's all I really get to see from him. I don't see him in, you know, in private, um, you know, with the, the door closed, how he talks to his players, um and talks how he talks to Vlade in their private meetings that, you know, that sort of thing. All I see is him, uh, in front of cameras and, you know, he didn't like talking to the media at all. You could tell that he would, he was handing out death stares to everybody. Like, you know, even for basic questions, Dave Yeager seemed like kind of a grump and, and I, that's kind of a weird way to put it, but he was kind of a grumpy dude and didn't take anyone's shit, you know? And I, that's cool. But, if this is the spin it's working on me because Luke really does seem like uh an affable guy and I know Steve Kerr was talking about how he's one of one of his best friends so you know I mean I don't know Luke just seems like he he gets along with everyone and I I do like his coaching resume we can talk about that a little more um how do you feel about the his time in Los Angeles I think that he did a good
0: job slowly progressing that team. I I do kind of want to ignore this past season because there was the drama of LeBron coming in, everybody, literal, literally everybody on that young roster getting attached to an Anthony Davis trade. And the roster construction was not good to me. There was a lot of one year guys that didn't fit very well, like a Michael Beasley, Rajan Rondo, that just didn't make sense to me, Lance Stevenson as well. So kind of disregarding that one. I mean, his first year, a very young team that had a lot of work to do. They were sitting at 26 wins. And then the next season, you saw them actually take a jump up to 35 and play some good defense with not exactly the most talented team. I think they had good defenders, but a lot of it does go credit to Luke that they play extremely high pace. They have every season that he's been there and they shoot a lot of threes. I feel like systematically that he's going to fit really well here and his time in LA disregarding this season, he was progressing upwards that the players seem to like him. And I think he just got kind of a scapegoat treatment this last season.
1: I completely agree with what you're saying there, and especially the point to this past year with the Lakers. I would like to strike that from the record as well. I I don't feel like this last season was representative of Coach Luke Walton's abilities because, A, you sign LeBron, and of course LeBron is going to help any team that he's on, but he's also going to take over any team that he's on. I have often felt like he is the head coach of the teams that he plays for. I, I, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but it really does feel like, you know, LeBron's calling the shots. And then obviously you got Polinka and Magic Johnson not doing a good job in the front office outside of signing LeBron and maybe grabbing JaVale McGee at the vet minimum. That was pretty much all they did good. They signed, like you said, just a ragtag team of dudes that didn't make sense around LeBron, and they just kind of handed that to Luke. Like, all right, you're expected to win a championship, essentially. Maybe not that much, but you're you're definitely expected to make the playoffs. We've dealt you a really tough hand, and then half his team gets injured. You know, I I don't really. It's not on him. I want to talk about uh, the 2016-17. In 2017-18 seasons, the two previous seasons for the Lakers, because I actually see a lot of similarities between those first two years for Luke and these last two years for Dave Yeager. Really, in 2016-17, obviously the, the records are similar. Um, you have a 26-win team in LA the first year. But man, that team was awful. Like, that team, that roster was awful. Jordan Clarkson led the team in minutes, who is bad. I'm sorry, but he's not a good player. Uh, you got a 22-year-old Julius Randle, a 19-year-old Brandon Ingram, and a 20-year-old D'Angelo Russell as kind of the rest of that core. And yeah, those are guys that are good now. Um, D'Angelo Russell obviously coming into his own in Brooklyn. Julius Randle has been putting up some really nice numbers in New Orleans. But these guys are super, super, super young. And you, I'm sorry, but like rookies just aren't, that good even second year guys aren't supposed to be that good a 19 year old brandon ingram he can't be a huge difference maker a 20 year old d'angelo russell he can't be a huge difference maker we saw it with fox point guards in their first year they just struggle that's just how it is sometimes and that carries over to the second year as well and then the rest of this roster like luau dang nick young does your sixth man there Five six. Uh, Larry Nance, Timothy Mozgov is your starting center. It's just not great, and I think that that reminds me a little bit of the Kings last year. Um, you know, Zach Randolph really brought that team down. There just wasn't a great glut of talent in Sacramento, and to me, that felt like kind of you know, Dave Yeager was was hoping to work uh for the future there, and then. 2017 18. This is the year that I feel very impressed by. Uh, This is the 35 win season. I want to let you get a word in on this. But what what were your thoughts of not this past, not this most recent season for Luke, but the, the the 35 win season before that?
0: Well, I think he did a good job with the roster that he had. Like you said, I mean it obviously was improved over that previous one. I think bringing in Lonzo Ball did a lot for them, especially defensively, also, and being able to move the ball around but he got a year under his belt of being a head coach and he got a little bit of a better roster around him that the defense picked up and they really overperformed for what that roster was and what the expectations were after that season that you just broke down. So I think that Luke deserves a lot of credit for that one too. It wasn't necessarily just players taking a next jump like you touched on Brandon Ingram, extremely raw talent that we didn't really see take a jump until this season that last year, a lot of people were having crazy amount of doubt in him. I think that he did a really good job of making that team play good defense and adjusting to modern basketball of shooting a lot of threes realized that their strength was going to be running in transition, especially with Lonzo ball and just did a great job of playing to their strengths. And like I said, they, they overperformed on that year. They were a bright spot. that got a lot of Laker fans excited again. And I think that he can do the exact same style with this Sacramento team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this, you know, the roster was a little bit better, I guess you can say. But again, I mean, I am, I, I am really impressed by how well he did with these players. I'm going to read off the first nine names on this roster by minutes played kcp kyle kuzma julius Randle, brandon ingram lonzo ball brooke lopez josh hart and jordan clarkson only one of those guys was older than 25 that year and you got yourself a rookie point guard who again as we know they don't contribute to winning basketball almost ever a lot of these guys got 20 20 21 22 22. To get to 35 wins in the West with a group of essentially 24, 25-year-olds 24, or younger, that's really impressive to me. It is.
0: Yeah, and there was no sort of drama coming out of LA in regards to Luke specifically, while this year you saw that he got into it with Michael Beasley. There were talks of him and Magic Johnson going out at the beginning of the year. To me, these guys like Beasley, like Stevenson and Rondo's a big one to me. Obviously LeBron as well. I mean, Luke Walton's only 39 years old. He's only, I want to say six years removed from being in the league. I feel like there's a different level of respect when these guys are a little bit younger compared to some of these players that might've even played the exact same time as him. So I feel like that the fact that this Kings team is so young comparably to that Lakers team is going to bode well for a super young head coach in Luke Walton and they get to grow together.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I really do see that as the path that we're on now. Um, let me just kind of this is kind of a throwaway thought, but do you think that Ty Lu is a good coach? I don't know
0: because you touched on the LeBron thing. I feel like there's only one way to play with LeBron on your team. So how much did he really have to coach there? You know, I mean, maybe it's a little more so managing personalities. I I wouldn't necessarily say he's a bad coach, but I wouldn't give him the good label either. It's a little undecided there for me, almost the same way that we talk about Luke
1: where it's not, I'm not really sure. Yeah, that's the point that I wanted to make. There is that I think when LeBron is your star player and your entire basketball operation is built around him, the coach just gets an incomplete grade because Tyloo has a ring, right? So, I mean, what are like that's and, and to say that he's not a good coach or that we aren't sure he's a good coach. You know, I I don't know. I think that I think that is the deal here. I think that Luke just gets an incomplete for last year. And uh, we, you know, what happens when LeBron wins a championship? We don't say, "Hey, this coach was good or bad." We say, "Hey, LeBron's an incredibly dominant player, and he's, you know, he's he's amazing." We don't talk about the coach. And to me, that that adds up. Yeah,
0: I wanted to play this clip of Steve Kerr. He got asked about Luke getting the head coaching job of the Kings and i wanted to give everyone an opportunity to listen to this real quick so here it is
2: well, i'm happy for luke uh, sad for dave yeager i think dave um, has done a fantastic job there in the last few years and he really helped establish a great foundation that luke's going to inherit uh Luke's one of my best friends. Um, He's an incredible basketball mind. Um, He's a wonderful human being. He's got the right temperament uh, to not only coach a team, but to get along with management, uh, to manage in every direction. uh, And he's the guy you want to go to battle with. And uh, so they are getting a a great coach and a great man. Has he improved much as a coach from the time that you first joined forces with him in that first year? Yeah, I think we all improve just through experience, you know. And we do. We have to feel it. Um, I've only been coaching five years, uh, and you know, I know I learn things every year. And Luke's the same way. He's a willing learner. He's not. Uh, he doesn't think he knows it all, and he'll bring a great staff with him. And uh, you know, they, that Kings team is really impressive and exciting, and uh, I love their future. And uh, I think they got the right coach for for the job. What's your best ball I think Luke's best quality is he's got a great uh, blend of um, competitiveness and laid-back Southern California vibe, you know, and it's a really good combination because you want to win and your players need to see how much you want to win, but you can't be too emotional in this job and too up and down, and Luke will always keep an even keel. Uh, so he'll do a great job there.
0: Yeah, so obviously, like like Steve Kerr said, I mean, It's a big help that Luke is coming into an established system that Dave Yeager put in place, uh, discovering that Pace is the identity of this team and really basing that around Fox. And one of the things that stood out to me is that he really talked up about how Luke is going to push you in the right way, but also have a level head throughout it. And does does it strike you weird that none of the players have said anything? Like, obviously, I mean, nobody... It's not regular for people to come out on social media necessarily and say things, and the Kings guys don't seem to do that too often, but I feel like since this entire end of the season, Jaeger firing, Luke getting hired, all the
1: players have been extremely quiet. Yeah, it's incredibly weird, Brendan. It's freaking me out, man. I don't know what to make of it.
0: Like, I I saw Buddy like a couple tweets, and he put out that eyes emoji, Mm -hmm. But I just don't – and that was after Luke got hired and he was liking things that were talking Luke up. But there's been no like, thank you, Dave Yeager. Yeah. Seems weird. I mean they were with this guy for three years.
1: I get – I the only way that I can interpret that is that they are happy, I guess. I mean it seems a little bit disrespectful not to say hey thanks man for you know a guy like fox who came into the league is you know i mean he's a rookie he's still a question mark and now he's you know with dave leaving he's on the brink of superstardom stardom at least and not like hey man you know thank you for all you've done uh you know even just like a really even a hollow gesture of like You know, picture of him and Dave together on Instagram, you know, with the, you know, I don't know, a peace sign or a a thumbs up sign or I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like the nothing seems weird to me.
0: Yeah, I, I it almost makes me more comfortable. But at the same time, I don't want to read into the Nothing too much. I mean, it makes me think a little bit of that Jason Jones article where the guys were talking about how the relationship was getting better. Or Bagley just said like sometimes that it's a little bit better. And of course, I'm sure his dad is just ecstatic about this. Yeah. To me, it's, it's weird. It seems like the players just didn't have that relationship with Dave Yeager. Like maybe that situation that happened in Golden State where Buddy got screamed at for making that three from super deep. Like we wanted to kind of write that off and say, you know, that's just Jaeger doing the coaching that he needs to do. I think that that was almost a little peak of how the players kind of felt about Jaeger.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I guess kudos to this team for keeping that under wraps. If that is how the the attitude was, if that attitude is there the whole time, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really know what to make of it. Did you see that? You did see that Marvin Bagley's dad tweeted, uh, put something on Instagram? <laughs> yeah, and he didn't even necessarily mention it. I think he just said,
0: like, thank God or something like that.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm scrolling through Instagram right now trying to find it. It was pretty funny, but. <laughs> he put some sort of religious thing out and didn't yeah. necessarily,
0: it, he practically, like, subtweeted the guy.
1: Well, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. We, yeah. Right you know, after the firing. It, it says, it's a, <laughs> it says the caption is thank you, Jesus exclamation point for our hands. And the image is of uh, a quote, a stylized quote from Romans one sixteen. 16. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting. And I mean, we've seen like Bagley has put out Instagram posts where he said that, uh, like really hyping up Coach K saying that he gave him all the opportunity and everything. Mm-hmm. And then quotes came out that Jaeger didn't like Bagley very much, that he didn't have the same faith as the front office, at least that he wanted Luca, which mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to blame him for wanting
1: Luca, but no, I mean,
0: not you can't
1: blame people thing. for wanting the rookie of the year. Yeah. Sorry for talking over you here, but I saw people doing this on Twitter too. They're like, well, Luke Walton wanted Luka also. I'm like, everybody wants Luka. Yeah. What are you talking about? Everyone wants Luka and Marvin Bagley. They're good players. They're young, good players. He's going to be Rookie of the Year. If you didn't want Luka on your team, you're you're not a good basketball mind. You're not smart.
0: Yeah, agreed. There's absolutely nothing wrong with him wanting Luka. It was just more so that he didn't have that faith in Bagley. And mm-hmm. part of – I mean – The entire fan base was like, why is Bagley not starting after the All-Star break? I mean, we saw Belly have a crazy start where he just blew my mind at the beginning of the year, but you weren't, I mean, Bagley was contributing to wins and that became clear and he still wasn't getting those minutes that it felt like he deserved and he's going to need for his development because obviously we wanted to make the playoffs this year, but this is a developmental year, no doubt. And Bagley needs those minutes. And that's the only way that he's going to get better is time on the court. So hopefully Luke will be on the same page. And I think that he will. I mean, I'm excited for this just for the sake of it being a change. But in regards to their coaching, it could be a little bit of a lateral move in regards to, you know, X's and O's, the play style and all that. But if the management and the coaching is on the same page and they were completely opposite prior that makes a big difference from the players to what you see on the floor, what you don't see that happens in the locker room and just the environment. If the guy's like playing for their coach and they're going to ride or die for them, then you go out with a different level
1: of energy. Absolutely. And to the point about Marvin uh, and his minutes and his role, he did, you know, eventually he got a pretty big role. Yeah. He may not have been starting. He got a lot of minutes, but sometimes it, do, it did feel like Jaeger was making statements occasionally, like, listen, you know, I'm in charge here. I'll play the guys that I feel comfortable with. I know that I almost had an aneurysm after the first game of the season because Bagley played like 11 minutes or something like that. And I was really worried about it. I was like, does this mean he's not good? Does this mean they're not going to play him at all all year? I believe Tim Maxwell read up wrote up a post about how that was the least amount of minutes that any second overall pick ever played in their debut uh, and and to Jaeger's credit he almost immediately bumped him up to like 20 22 minutes a game after that but it felt like kind of one of those statements where he's like listen I'm in charge and I trust my vets and I'll I'll tell you when you're ready to play and it kind of felt in the in the same way there's a reflection of that in the last game where I think that Kings fans really wanted that 40th win. And Yeger's like, listen, I'm in charge. I'll play who I want. Uh, and I don't want to put Buddy and Fox back out there. So I'm not going to. And, you know, kind of your feelings about it be damned. And I wonder if Walton will be a little more attuned to the f- feelings of the fan base and the feelings of the players.
0: Yeah. And on that Bagley, I mean, Bagley was sloppy at the beginning. He was not moving the ball at all. And maybe that was because he was seeing limited minutes that he felt like anytime he did have the ball in his hands that he had to try and do something with it. But I felt like slowly working him in made him more of a team player a little bit. And then there were things he had to work out. And that maybe was a credit to just not instantly throwing him out there in that starting lineup or seeing 25 plus minutes. But moving forward with Luke, I mean, what are your predictions for next season? I mean, the eight seed this year was forty-eight wins, and that's a a nine-win jump. Is that what
1: is that what you're kind of seeing here next season? I mean, that's pretty high. I think that uh, this was also a year where I'm not sure that the number of wins to get in the playoffs is super representative of every year. Yeah. I, I that was not last year forty-six, and it's been lower. Uh, pretty consistently uh, in the past. So, you know, I threw a number out there on Twitter and I would like to be able to take it back and, and change it as I can because so much of it rides on what free agents are brought in, what moves are made, who's re- resigned, who is let go, all that stuff. But I threw out the number 47 and I feel I mean, it's, it's a little bold. It's a little bit of a hot take, but I feel pretty good about 47.
0: Yeah, my number that I thought up was about 45. And I mean, this team could take a major jump. Like if Bagley takes it to another level, like we see a lot of people do into their second year. Fox obviously has – I mean, all these guys are so young. And you see Barnes potentially, if he might rework, that would <laughs> – change the team dynamic a little bit that, you know, he's going to be around for a while and he's going to have an off season with this team. I think that they could take a decent jump and maybe, maybe up to that 50 win mark. But realistically, this year was in overperformance a little bit and it's going to be harder to win 11 more games. So I say realistically that you improve a bit, but I don't think that it's a night and day difference necessarily. If you're looking at the record, my guess would be just barely below yours. I'm sitting at 45. That's fair. The next segment of this podcast, we are going to be doing throughout the off season to kind of eat up some of the dead time. We have player spotlights that we're going to do. We're going to go through and talk about different guys on the team, what we think their strengths and weaknesses are, how they can progress on the next season breaking down their last year compared to previous, how we've seen them progress, what their value is as well, and a couple other things that we'll throw in there. But the one that we wanted to start with was Willie Colley-Stein, and the reason I threw his name in there first is because I do not think he's going to be on this team next year. At least I'm hoping that he's not, and
1: I believe you feel the same way, right, Rich? Hasn't changed? It has not changed. I think it's worth exploring the... Thought of keeping him. Um, But there's some, you know, it's got to be conditional and and we can get into some of those conditions going forward here.
0: Yeah, Grant said that he would be a perfect backup big. And I kind of feel that. But is he going to want to take a backup role in a place that he started for what the last two, three seasons? I just don't see that.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the. Perfect question to ask with Willie. I think that he could be a fantastic backup big. He's got the energy. He can, you know, he can come in and really change the game with his athleticism if it's used strategically against a tired first unit or a a maybe a weaker second unit. But yeah, like you say, I mean, it's hard to tell with Willie. I, I can't I can't read his mind, but I would guess that he doesn't want any of that. I, I think that he wants to be the guy somewhere.
0: Yeah. And I kind of take that as what we've seen him progressing on. Like maybe his touch around the rim has gotten better and his passing has improved a bit. I mean, he has decent vision that is probably kind of underrated, but he's, he could be a really ideal role player As a finisher, I feel like he has rim protecting capabilities, just doesn't put in the effort and especially rebounding with that athleticism, but he doesn't put a body on anybody and he doesn't chase boards like you see someone like Bagley come flying in from the free throw line to get rebounds. It just feels like he's atoning himself to try and be more of a star almost in a way. I mean, before this year started, there was a quote from Kevin Durant saying, watch out for Willie Cauley-Stein. Like this guy, I think he wants to be more of an offensive load.
1: Yeah. I mean, he as recently as a couple of weeks ago, continued to compare himself to stars of the game and said, you know, I'm not being used in the ways that I could be used, that I've got so much more to my game and they want to, you know, keep me in a box. I'm not quoting directly there, but that's the feeling I got. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess his touch, t- touch has improved a little bit. I don't really see it. Uh, he's never been an elite guy at the rim. Um, we think that he is because his field goal percentage looks pretty nice, but it's still, it's for a guy that should only really, I mean, the, the ideal way to use Willie Collie Stein is, you basically offensively he only dunks like keep him like he is dunking and he is finishing plays like within inches of the basket uh but he's not a fantastic layup finisher or uh, he can't get super creative but that he he in transition he goes up and catches the ball and dunks it that is what he is best at he's fantastic at stretching the court vertically not horizontally at all because he has zero range. Um, but yeah, I mean that's and that's great and that is like you said that's very valuable. That is a very valuable role to play. But you can't be a starting center if that's your only offensive tool, really. Maybe you know maybe Rudy Gobert gets away with you know just being good right at the basket. He is leading the league in dunks, so that really is his best offensive tool. But He's also one of the best defenders in the game, probably defended you know defensive player of the year. So I will push back on the blocks. He's been so bad. Yeah. So bad at at providing any rim protection. Um you know, here's his here's his blocks per 36 minutes across his first four seasons. 1.7 in his first year, 1.1, and then 1.2 in his second and third, this year all the way down to 0. 0.8. That's no good. So in college, this was a guy who was projected to be a rim protector in the NBA. I mean, he was a fantastic rim protector in college. He was putting up crazy block numbers uh, at UK, University of Kentucky. And yeah, I mean, he was putting up like five blocks per 48 minutes, six blocks per 48 minutes, that type of numbers. And again, you know, that is college. But most guys that, I mean, he was putting up like Jaron Jackson – junior levels of blocks in college and then he comes to the nba and just gives up on it i know there was an injury a hand injury that he went through that was pretty severe uh and he talked about he's spoken you know about it that it was kind of traumatizing for him and he it does seem like he is worried about getting hurt putting his hand up there and getting another finger smashed against the rim that is scary you know i get that but I mean, he he's not protecting the rim and he can't stretch the floor. So that's, to me, that's what it comes down to. Those are probably the two most important qualities for a starting big man in the NBA is defending the paint and stretching the floor on offense. If you can't do at least one of those, you got to, you have to be a backup. And that's what we've got right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, the guy that I see that he could sort of, model his game after is like a clink capella where he can run the floor extremely well but he doesn't have that defense there like you said but it the potential is there and that's the most frustrating thing about collie stein is that it is all there like you said he had it there in college he just needs to care enough to put his hands above his shoulders or in that Houston game, we saw him shoot four or five mid-ranges after doing like behind the back moves and through the legs. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? You need to understand your strengths. And to touch on the amount of shots he should take at the rim, Colley Stein this year takes 71% of his looks at the rim. And well, he's only shot two threes all year, 50%. So shout out to him for that. Um, but 29% mid-range shots. Like I said, 71% at the rim and someone like Capella, is at 86% at the rim, and that's what I'd like to see it more at, kind of like you touched on. It's just he doesn't understand what his ideal
1: role should be, and there's no effort on either side of the ball. Those that That 29% is probably the worst shots that the Kings offense took this entire year. He shouldn't shoot any of those. I mean, I guess— 33% on all of those mid-range shots. Yeah, so point six, you know, 0.66 points per possession. Yeah, that's horrific. That is awful. You can't do that. And I remember going back to the beginning of the year. There's a stretch there. I actually wrote about how he was he had picked up his field goal percentage, it is effective uh, ex- effective field goal percentage, and his true shooting percentage, all because he didn't take a single mid range look. I think he took one across his first eight games. And uh, his numbers were nice. I mean, he was really putting up some nice some nice stats in that first month. I actually have his month by month month by month splits here. In October, he averaged seventeen point four points, uh, and then you know immediately it dropped down to twelve point eight, thirteen, eleven point one, nine, eleven point three, and then down to six point eight in April. That's month by month. So, yeah, and I mean, look at his uh, his plus minus as well per game in October across those eighth games, he was a positive 9.5 and then never got up above 1.5 again the rest of the year.
0: Yeah. And then another thing that sticks out to me is the screen setting. Like he's not big enough and he's almost too soft. Like he doesn't, He avoids that contact a little bit, and with guys like Fox, like Buddy that are great at running off screens or in a pick-and-roll situation, and Cully Stein should be great at rolling to the rim. His hands are decent. Mm -hmm. The screen setting isn't there either, and that's a huge part of today's NBA, and really just the NBA in general going back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He could be – I mean, that's what he should be if he's going to maximize his own game, but instead he – talks about wanting to be like Kristaps Porzingis and that's not your game my guy. So
0: 538 has a Carmelo player prediction projections and the players they compared him to I didn't see it all so I didn't bother throwing those in here but they had him um, on a projected 5-year contract. They had it at 33 million. Only 6.6 6 million a year and I feel like someone just banks on his potential because this guy is still super young and I mean, maybe he puts it together. Do you think he's kind of looking at a more smaller prove yourself contract, maybe a two year?
1: Yeah, I think he's looking at a much smaller deal. I think if I had to guess what he ends up taking two years, 17 million. That's my best guess. And it's not with the Kings.
0: Yeah. I mean, some guys that I felt were, slightly comparable and their contracts coming off rookie years were like maybe JaVale McGee, who saw four years forty-four million. This was years ago. I mean, Nurkic a bit reminds me, but it's not even quite the same. That was twelve million a year for four years, four years forty eight. And like you're saying, I just don't see him getting that money. I mean there's also the terrible free throw percentage we didn't even touch on fifty five percent this year. Awful. yeah, he
1: shoots better from the field than the free throw line. It's bad. And yeah, I, I mean, at least McGee was a block artist, you know, I mean, yeah. Willie Colley is not that Nurkic. Nert- really, he is a really smart player and he always puts himself in the right spot. We don't see that with Willie Colley Here's some guys that I threw out there. So um, regarding the question I want to ask here, I, I want to do this for all of our player spotlights. Um, it's kind of a, it's kind of just a theoretical exercise, but basically what I want to get to is what contract value would you say we had a team option on every one of these guys that we will eventually go through everybody. Say we had a team option, one year team option. What is the highest dollar amount you're picking up that op- option for next year? Does that make any sense? Yeah. Okay. So here's some guys to help with the contract, uh, comparisons here i went through and found all the guys all the centers that made around 6.3 million next year because that is his qualifying offer if we want to keep him we need to offer the the qo of 6.3 million so here are all the guys that make between 7.2 and 5.1 as centers this past year dwayne dedman boban marjanovic montrezl harrell DeMarcus Cousins, Aaron Baines. I will take every single one of those guys over Willie time Agree. So to me, that six point three is probably a little too high, honestly. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, like at the end of the day, you know, I I think I could see his value being seven point five million at the very most, and it probably has to be given to him by a different team because. Like we've been over losing your starting job in Sacramento. I don't think that he would want that. So I am right on the fence about not wanting to even offer him that qualifying offer. I think I'm going to have to write about that this week and compare him to some of these guys, the Deadmans, the Bobans, the Harrells, the Cousins, the Baines of the world. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a real argument to be made for just letting him walk.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't really want him back. Like we talked about, I don't want to pay that 6.3. And I think that even if we did have him back, like we talked about, it would be a backup role. I don't think he's happy with that. And I don't think that helps the locker room necessarily. And I mean, I kind of looked at some teams that might be interested. I was thinking like Atlanta. I mean, he can run the floor well with them, but everybody's going to run into the exact same problems that we had. Atlanta has some money to throw around though. They quietly have max space available. So maybe if they strike out, honestly I could see the Lakers doing something dumb and taking
1: (laughs) a sign. Like I would love I would love that. Oh,
0: me too. Like he seems like an LA guy. And I could see the Lakers doing that. And maybe like if he wanted to take a backup small contract on a championship type thing, trying to prove yourself. Would a Houston backup maybe? But I think that you and me had talked about this. That if Collie Stein is on a D'Antoni team, he's gonna th- th- mess up so many times that he's likely right in the bench for a good
1: majority of that game. Right, he can't play on a t- on any team that has a good defense because the coach will lose his mind trying to play him. Uh, I think Atlanta is an interesting one. Maybe they do maybe they offer that two years 17 18 million and uh, that would give the Kings great relief and they can just decide not to match it and move on and then there's that other aspect, like you know we can offer him that qualifying offer he can take another contract I don't even think he would there's a real chance he would not even accept the qualifying offer and he would just yeah. be assaulted and he would he would bounce
0: yeah and then I mean maybe smaller teams that aren't going anywhere right now, that are just kind of shooting shots in the water, hoping that they get something decent, like a a Charlotte that needs a center, just hoping he can progress into something, giving him a small prove yourself like we talked about.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I just don't know who would even want this guy. Like the Pelicans after they lose AD or something, you know, like I don't know where this guy has a place in the NBA right now.
1: I like where your head's at, though. I think that those are the types of teams that, that would want to take a flyer on him. If they could get him cheap, um, you know, 15 to 20 million, uh, for two years, I think, yeah, Charlotte, New Orleans, maybe Detroit, um, you know, just someone anywhere that they feel like it's fine. We'll handle his personality. We'll bring him off the bench. He can't get a starting job anywhere else. So he's just going to have to deal with it. I like the Houston concept. He's not good at defense, but he can switch a little bit. And he definitely can rim run. It's just like like you said, he's Clint Capella minus uh, the post defense. So, yeah, I think that's a good one. I think that is a good one.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But I'm happy to not see him in purple next year. I mean – Give me, give me Deadman. Like you said, I would love Baines on this team. I know he's not actually available, anything like that. But we've touched on all the centers that we want going into the next season. And that's really one of the main positions the Kings are looking for. And that's because we don't want Willie Colley's time back. And I just hope that the management feels the same way. I, I feel like they have to. I mean, we saw his minutes go down a lot towards the end here. He was seeing less than 20 minutes at times. And Bagley... And Giles are that future there, and you're looking for another guy to fill the center void until they're kind of okay to step in and fully do that. I'm I'm happy that Colby Stein has played his last minutes in Sacramento. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. So the next guy that we got, I think we're going to take it position by position. Is we got Costikoufis, and I think that he actually. Did an okay job this year. I kind of enjoyed the minutes that he was in. I mean, he doesn't fit the pace style of the Kings, but he played 12 minutes a game, a little under four points, uh, averaged half the rebounds of Willie in less than half the minutes. I, he, on 43% of the amount of minutes, he had half of the rebounds of Willie. Um, nothing to look at in the assists, 47% from the field, doesn't shoot any threes. His free throw percentage was actually worse than Willie. He was sitting at 41%. only saw him in 42 games this year, and I, I don't know. I think that as a veteran presence, he's, he's 30. He'll be 31 headed into next season, that it's not bad to keep him coming off the bench and As an emergency big, where if you need some minutes at the end, he can actually body guys a little bit. He has some strength to him. I think that he's intelligent. It was surprising to me to look that he's actually coming off a four-year, $33 million contract.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yep. That's uh, a big reason why the Kings moved their 2019 first-round pick was to make room for signing Costa Cufos.
2: (laughs)
0: So uh, that's interesting. Obviously, I don't want him at that value. But at this point, I mean, no one's going to take him at that value. And I I wouldn't mind him as a 11th guy on the bench.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that analysis. That's pretty much where I'm at as well. Um, I think that I heard way too much talk this uh, trade deadline and last trade deadline about how a team would want him at that salary and that we could get picks back. No, we can't. Uh, to me, Kufos is, yeah, like you said, he's a totally fine uh, backup veteran center. And I mean like deep backup. I don't want him in the rotation. Uh, let me be clear about that.
0: Backup to the backup.
1: Backup to the backup. Absolutely. A depth big. Um I was calling very, very early on the, in the season. Uh, I was calling for Harry Giles to take Kufus's minutes, and I was getting shut down. And to be fair, Harry couldn't really stay on the floor. His foul troubles were really acute at that time. And Kufus, Kufus was doing a pretty decent job, you know, just being smart, being in the right place. He's a fantastic rebounder. I absolutely think that we need to to note that. But yeah, not a blocks guy. Um, not a steals guy, not an assist guy, that's for sure, and definitely not a score. I mean, he does not have much of an offensive game whatsoever. Even like you said, from the free throw line, 41% this year, 45% last year. That's miserable. Um, and then yeah, the blocks, you know, he he people like to talk about him um as being a part of that Denver team in 2012-2013 that was pretty good and he started every game for that Denver team. Uh but listen, you know he's a, he started every game and he only put up 8 points and 7 boards. Like he was a very minor part of that team. Very minor part. He did have um some nice block numbers that year, but his blocks have decreased every single year since to the point where he's no longer really uh doing anything for you in terms of generating you know playmaking on defense that's pretty much done he just needs to stay in his spot and get there and and put a hand up and and hope that you know he makes the smart play but not the explosive play uh which is understandable he's 30 so yeah and i mean aside
0: from bielita and Corey brewer whom we might not see back in sacramento next year he's the oldest guy on the team so i think if we can have him in that, like we talked about, back up to the backup and just being a veteran presence, I think that he seems, from what I can tell, well-spoken and liked by the other guys, that just that alone is worth having in your locker room because this team is extremely young. Like, that's part of my off season is they need some veteran guys, and I think Costa would be one of those. What was kind of the
1: value you were looking at? For me, the value is clear, and it's the vet minimum. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll keep. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I don't think he's getting offered any more than that by anybody. And I think that he'd probably prefer to stay in Sacramento. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that, uh, since he's not going to be getting a lucrative deal elsewhere, I think that he fits in here. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like he needs or, or know that I don't think that he like yearns to be starting anywhere. Like that's, I think he's past that point of his career. Uh, to to provide tutelage to these younger guys to continue to help harry and bagley grow i i would love to see him back on a on a veteran minimum one year deal yeah i agree i got no issues
0: with that and i mean that's really about as deep as my costa analysis goes like i'm good with keeping him at that
1: yeah i like that i like that a lot I uh, let's do it and um yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, for me, we did the center position today. I feel like we could break the power forward position into a couple episodes um, could because guys like Harry Giles and Marvin Bagley kind of split that position there. And then we can talk about Bielitsa and Swanigan and Gabriel as well in that area. So it's up to you if you want to keep going through some of these guys or if, if you want to call it, quits here at center and say, you know, Kali Stein and Kufos, those are, the, those are the only two guys that are obvious centers, no question about it, and, uh, and move on to some, some Q&A? I think that we can move on to Q&A. I think we talked about Swanigan a
0: little bit with Deuce, and then maybe when we're talking about some of those guys like Swanigan, Gabriel, uh, later Troy Williams, BJ Johnson, we can talk to Deuce again, or maybe Morgan. Uh, one of those two, because they'll probably know it a little bit better, get some insight. But I think I'm going to move on to the Q&A. Let's do it. All right. I think that actually the first question is from someone that you happen to know. So you want to go ahead and shout that one out?
1: Yeah, that's right. My buddy, John Catterson, uh, he is on Twitter. Uh, I got to find his Twitter handle to shout him out. But he is also john Catterson on reddit and that's my homeboy right there uh he actually to give proper due here he actually was the guy that showed me uh sacktown royalty he was the he was the guy that introduced me to sacktown royalty and when i told him that i wanted to write about basketball he said hey um this is who you want to write for and he uh so i owe him a a debt of gratitude for that he is at john j-o-n underscore Catterson on twitter so that's John, J-O-N, underscore, C-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N. Give that dude a follow. He's he's awesome. He really knows his basketball as well.
0: Nice. And the question we got from him on Reddit, we actually spent a good amount talking about this when we met up. It's an interesting hypothetical. So Buddy, Bogey, and Barnes are all sitting at 26 years old. Fox is 21. Bagley and Giles are both 20. And so would you consider trading one or more of the older guys in Buddy, Bogey, or Barnes selling high now for a younger player that fits the timeline better with the younger guys of Fox, Bagley, and Giles. And when we touched on this, it was a little difficult to find teams that would want to swap their younger guys for one of these older, still new guys in the league aside from Barnes. I mean, because the teams that you're taking young guys from are still in that rebuilding process, same as Sacramento. So that was a little bit of a struggle. I mean, I think guys that we touched on that were interesting were like an OG and Obi. I think that Toronto's in a win-now mode, obviously, and that maybe they want to swap some of that young talent for guys that can contribute more. Maybe a Bogdanovich can do more for them off the bench. Or... I mean, there was Mikhail Bridges that obviously we would love on this team. He's a great defender. I think he's a really good role player. But that's the same thing with Phoenix, where maybe they don't want a 26-year-old. Obviously, they were one of the worst teams, I think second worst overall this year. But you, have, you just have to find, it's tricky to find a situation where the other team is saying yes to dump in one of their younger guys for a
1: 26-year-old. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, we did, we talked about this a lot. I love this question because it is, uh, just a great hypothetical to consider. I'll give my real answer first. And then maybe we can talk about some of those guys in particular and how that would play out. But my real answer is no, I, I would not consider this. I think that, you know, John mentions the timeline and, there's a question of defining what that timeline is. So for me, there are two blocks, basically two blocks of the timeline. One is the Bodie, the, excuse me, the buddy bogey Barnes timeline. They're all 26. They've all got, you know, maybe a five year window of being at peak effectiveness, uh, maybe four or five years. And then you've got Fox Bagley Giles who are, just beginning their careers and it'll be in that 5 4 or 5 years they'll be approaching their peak at the end of that 4 or 5 years. I like having two lines there moving as time goes on because you know, first of all, no teams can compete with all young guys. That just you know, I mean, look at the playoffs right now, no one is is out there competing with all guys under 25. Like we talked about how it was impressive at least from my perspective that the Lakers even had a 35 wins with essentially no one under 25. So to have these guys, we can build with buddy bogey and Barnes going forward. By the time we get to where the King, well, the time the Kings get to where they want to, IE, you know, real contention in this league, they can be the veteran presences and the guys like Bagley, Giles and Fox, they can be the young core that's there that if things don't work out, yeah, they're retained. Maybe we do have to tear down a little bit, trade bogey, trade Barnes, trade buddy, But to me, you do that when they're 28, 29 rather than right now. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And there's
0: also the aspect of affecting the locker room. I mean, Buddy and Bogey seem like they're extremely close. I mean, there's pictures of them hanging out together all the time. And Barnes is just brought in. And he, everything that I've heard, has been a great locker room guy everywhere he's gone even in Dallas where obviously they weren't very happy with the contract that he was on. So I would agree with that. I like having the two different timelines and I don't feel like we need to change anything is mainly what it comes down to that. I'm happy with what we have. We can move forward. I think the only team that was kind of young looking in this playoff spot was the Clippers that stood out to me. They're starting two rookies. They have a second year guy starting in Zubac as well, but they also have some nice veterans in Gallinari, Beverly and Lou Williams, of course. And part of the reason they're there is because they had like a Tobias Harris throughout most of the year, and they're barely above the Kings. So I'm happy with where we're at moving forward. But like you said, this is a super interesting hypothetical because there's some guys out there that would be really nice to have as a fourth guy around Bagley, uh, Fox,
1: and Giles. Right. Right. I agree that you don't want to make a move just to make a move because you don't, you wouldn't want to trade a player who is, you wouldn't want to trade a guy that is this good for a, a player that is equally as good because that you're losing something in the chemistry. You're losing something, um, you know, your risk, you're adding risk when you don't need to, unless we're talking like a scal for Swanigan trade, where yeah. it's kind of like an upside, like hoping, hoping that that mixing it up creates more upside. You wouldn't want to trade Buddy for someone who is just like equally good. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. You're you're just risking too much. Um, I don't think – I also really like how these six guys that are the core of this team, they fit really well together. You got yourself Fox at the point, Buddy at the two, Barnes at the three, could play Bagley and Giles as bigs, and you got Bogey as the sixth man. I mean you don't need – it's not like it's a positional thing where, oh oh, shit, we've got five guards – and we got to, you know, we got to flip one of those for a big, it, it, you know, this feels like a good array of talent here.
0: So then going with the hypothetical though, who would be some of the guys that would interest you?
1: I liked what you mentioned about uh, targeting contenders that maybe their guys are a little bit too young uh, and, and they would trade because you want a guy that's on uh got at least two, maybe three years on his deal on a rookie-scale contract because that's where the upside would be for the Kings. Um, One guy that I just am thinking of now because, all right, so Denver is the two-seed, and obviously they need more horses. They need more firepower now to compete with a team like Golden State. Would you have any interest in Michael Porter? To me, that's another Harry Giles where it's a little bit of a
0: project and a question mark. Um, if I'm getting rid of, not really, for getting rid of one of those guys. I mean, there's a lot of potential there, but back issues are no joke. I mean, to me, it's another sort of Giles situation where you're just hoping that maybe he pans out to the potential that he used to have. Where I don't know if I want to have two of those on the
1: team. Yeah, it's a good point. I just think that Denver might want to do that side of it. From their side, I think they would take like Bogey for Porter. Um, And I think Ananobi is a great one. Honestly, he might be the only guy that I feel like I would do a deal like this. And I, I could see it working for both sides where, say, we traded, uh, say the Kings moved Barnes for Ananobi. Yeah. You know, it probably lowers the ceiling for next year for the Kings, but raises it in the following years. Uh, you know, I mean, even at that point, I just would rather prefer to have the three guys at 26 and three guys at 21 and, and move forward like that. Anyone else here that you feel like throwing out there maybe on a contender?
0: Um, what about like a Zach Collins?
1: That's an interesting one. Uh, I mean, I suppose you're, you need to move. They need a small forward. I mean. The problem there, I think, is you've already got two bigs that are 20 years old.
0: I would have loved, I mean, like a Shamit when Philadelphia still had him. I would have loved a Shamit. Maybe a Zaire Smith. That's not a bad one. Yeah, I think we talked about that before. I don't mind that. Yeah. Um, What about like a, I mean... They've been playing him at a three guard, but maybe it's just because they don't have any threes and he might be too high on
1: their boards
0: like a Jonathan Isaac.
1: Right. I do see him as a big, but if that were out there, I would think about it. I would think about it. Yeah. But yeah, I I think that
0: it's just a little difficult because obviously you'd be interested in guys from the Hawks, from the Bulls or things like that. But there's no reason for them to do that swap on their side. Right, like a Mikael Bridges. Oh, oh, another one that I think, like, is Minnesota trying to win now? Because they're really wanting to impress Cat. Could you snag a Josh Okoge?
1: That's definitely an interesting one. I kind of, in my head, I just don't think they can win now. So, but I mean, hey, they may have different machinations around that. They, If they think they can win, that's as good as... Them actually being able to win, as far as a trade perspective, so that's a good one. Yeah, and I think guys like Mikhail Bridges or Miles Bridges would be attractive from our perspective, but that those teams wouldn't wouldn't want to get older. Yeah. So that I mean that
0: was a fun question to kind of think on, though. I mean, I had never put it together where maybe we wanted to look at a younger guy like that. It's just a little difficult in
1: regards to the other side of the deal. I love questions like that. I could have done a whole episode on that and it, you know, maybe we will one day just lay out some, some trade scenarios. Sounds good to me. That'll be, that'll be one of our
0: wacky Wednesday episodes. You like that? I'm just yeah. doing that right now. <laughs> Hashtag wacky Wednesday. Oh yeah. So the next Reddit Q and A question we got, unless you have anything else you want to touch on the last one. I'm good there. Okay. This is from Timely Zero. Would you guys like Favors as the future center of this team? If so, what would you give up to get him? So the contract that Favors is on right now has next season, if you're not counting this, at 16 almost $17 million. And just in regards to not contract, but if I like the fit, I think that he's that he works okay there. I mean, he doesn't blow me away, and I probably have other guys I prefer over him. I wouldn't say he spaces the floor with shooting two point two threes a game or sorry one three a game at twenty one percent. Um I mean I guess that's better than Collie Stein, but the rebounding's there, he has a nice touch. He doesn't he doesn't blow me away as I really want this guy on the team. I mean, there's a veteran presence aspect, but it's not all too exciting to me or attractive. I mean, how do you feel about it?
1: The fit is solid for me as well. I, if I could have gone back in time and put him where Willie Colley Stein was on this team, I would have loved that. I think that is, you know, I think that might be a playoff team because he does, while he can finish around the basket, he also protects the paint. You know, he doesn't have any stretch, but that would have given our defense a real anchor there in the post, and I think that would have really helped this team. I guess you can apply the same logic to the Kings next season but in regards to him being the future center i mean i you know how far in the future if we're talking like this season yeah i think that would be great but the future center for this team as i will continue to bang the drum for is marvin bagley so i don't want him long term luckily you know he is only on a one-year deal i would be interested however with regards to the second part of this question, I don't know how we could get that done. I don't know what pieces we have to offer that I'd be willing to part with that the jazz would be interested in. Do you have anything there?
0: Not really. Like I said, I mean, it's almost $17 million and the jazz are in now that win now mode, but at the same time, they have a future with Donovan Mitchell. I, I just don't, I'm not sure. I think that he fits well next to Gobert with them and he's playing well as a four. I-, I don't know what I would be willing to give up for him. And at the same time, like you're saying, I don't know what Utah would to correct that three point percentage, I mean he's thirty one percent from the corners, so at least you can sit him the oh I'm sorry, I'm reading this wrong. He's thirty one percent from non corners and which he's barely shot at all. And he's only nineteen percent from the corners.
1: That's not great. No. Yeah, I mean, he he fits their team really well. Really well. Not amazingly, but you can't really play him next to Gobert that much. They do, but it it's it's not an ideal fit. I think that he is a nice replacement for Gobert when Gobert is off the floor. You know, I think the best offer that I could put out there and I don't think the Jazz take this is if we were to offer them Bielitsa, Yogi Ferrell, who is fully non-guaranteed, and they could just cut him for nothing, and uh, some sort of series of second-round picks, or you know Frank Mason if they want him. And yeah, I, I'm not giving up a first for him, and and I think I'm not, and I'm not giving up one of the core six. So yeah, I think Bealiza might be interesting to to them a little bit, just in so in so far as he can he can stretch the floor as a big man, but I don't think that gets it done.
0: No, I do think that, like you're saying, I mean, Belly would be a nice fit there, but at the same time, I almost would consider rather having him, having Belly, as someone to space the floor, since we do need that, obviously, and then just chasing after one of these dead men or Lopez come this offseason.
1: I can definitely see that as well. I, I, I think if you, if the Kings feel like they don't have a true center, uh, say Willie is gone, Say you know, Kupos can't really play that role, Um, and they want to find a true center, like a a paint protecting big man. You know, I think you could offer you could offer The Jazz save some money; they get a shooter, uh, and then the Kings plug in favors at the one, and then they just go shopping for shooters. You know, just spend all your money on shooters in the offseason. You know, I think you could find find some guys that could do that.
0: Yeah, but I think just to answer that the question super surface level it's a no for me
1: right it it feels too complex um but it's a nice thought
0: yeah agreed there and one guy watching playoffs a little bit yesterday that kind of stood out to me and i mentioned this to you a little while ago that somehow was going under the radar that's going to be a free agent is that Thaddeus young i mean if you like bagley at the center and Thaddeus young can play some really nice help defense. He's got hustle. He's got really good hands. And I mean, he's definitely benefiting from being on one of the top defenses in the Pacers, but he can space the floor. He's shooting almost 35% from deep. Great rebounder. He has a nice touch. I think that Thaddeus Young was an interesting guy that I hadn't thought of this off season.
1: He's a great pull. I think that I don't know how I slept on him so thoroughly didn't even realize he was a free agent. I guess he just is not, uh, he doesn't have much clout. You know what I mean? The Pacers don't have much clout, no offense to them. And then on their team, he's kind of, even though he started every game, he's still like kind of like their fifth starter kind of guy. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a really nice player. I, I love, love his defense. I think he would be massive for this team to get another forward in there. I mean, he, I think he'd immediately become our best defender, uh, maybe fox takes a jump forward but i think he'd be our defensive ace you can play the three or the four uh probably you know better suited for the four but you know he doesn't shoot amazingly well yeah he he has that he's pretty much at 35 this season but that's on a very low attempts per game which i would need to dig into but that tells me he's just only shooting when he's entirely open which is fine but yeah. I mean, you got yourself a guy there that could really help the defense and that is absolutely something that I'm looking for. Something that the Kings have been looking for for a long time is a guy that can play both forward positions and defend. So yeah, you pair him with, with uh, Harrison Barnes and then you've got yourself, you know, a guy uh, in the forward spot that can that can always defend on the floor. You can swap them out, stagger them, whatever you need to do. Use uh, Corey Brewer there still and um, yeah, you got yourself a nice little defensive forward group.
0: Yeah, that's your guy. I feel like you're going to be heartbroken if Brewer's not on this team next year. Absolutely. I can't really blame you, though. I mean, he's a hustle guy. I like him.
1: Yeah, I like him a lot. I know he's older, but kind of the same concept. He's like Kufos but still usable in a way. Or I would love to have Brewer at the end, like that 11th guy where he doesn't need to be in the rotation, but... For depth and for matchups he can be and then yeah then i'm loving that so we only had those two questions
0: because a couple of the questions from reddit were directed at deuce mason that happened in our last episode but the new thread will be up a little bit later today so definitely be sure to go to reddit.com slash r slash kings ask us questions there our thread will be stickied at the top And check out the rest of the subreddit as well. There's good content on there all the time. Follow myself and Ivan on Twitter. And the Kings Pulse Twitter is at Kings underscore Pulse. You can ask us questions on there. I mean, I think that's it for this episode, man. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on?
1: You just call me Ivan? Did I? (laughs) Yeah, no, everybody does that. Everyone in my life calls me Ivan. That's the first four letters of my last name. But yeah. Didn't even realize. My bad. No, no, it's all good. I'm just uh, having some fun. Yeah, Rich Ivanowski, NBA Ivanowski uh, on Twitter and on many things. I am uh, building up a little bit of a website as well. It's going to be I- com and it's going to have uh, links to all these podcasts as well as other podcasts and some written work. I think I'm going to write about Willie this week and write about uh, how much Willie has uh, earned this next season.
0: Nice. I was planning on putting together something on the guys to watch in the playoffs as a Kings fan.
1: I like that. So
0: keep an eye out for that. Rich, or my bad, Ivan over here making big moves with the website.
1: And, Wait. <laughs> uh, on the Friday
0: We are going to have the athletic cover for the Hawks. That is Chris Kirschner. And we'll be talking in-depth on Deadman. I'm going to compare our young core to his, who he thinks is better, who he would take in order out of all those young guys. I have a feeling he's going to put Trey Young at the top there.
1: (laughs) I'm looking forward to that, man.
0: Yeah, I can't really blame him. You know, I'm going to pitch a deadman Collie stein swap. We'll see how that goes. (laughs) Poorly. Yeah, I'm sure. Hopefully he just hasn't watched Kings, you know. I feel like that's what we're hoping for in these front offices, that we someone like a Magic Johnson somewhere signs Collie Stein thinking that he has, that he has it going.
1: Yeah. We can only hope.
0: Yeah. So that is going to be it for this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. And you will hear from us again on Wednesday.
1: For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together.